We are Grace Church International, a spirit-filled, multicultural, worshiping community. One church in two locations. Today's message is preached by Bishop Jonathan Alvarado. We pray that it reaches you no matter where you are and equips you to be a more developed Christian disciple. somebody's spirit. Say it out loud like you really believe it's going to happen. The Lord will perfect that which concerns. Last time, I want you to say it one more time with conviction and muster the strength that it requires to be able to convince yourself and the devil. Say it. The Lord will perfect that which concerns. I want to entitle this message, Deacon Martin, Moving from Frustration to Perfection. Moving from frustration to perfection. Now, Father, take the thoughts and the images and the words that you've given unto me, the, 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 the metaphors, the, the similes, the, the impressions, the divine imprints in my spirit. I pray, God, that you form them into sermonic words that they might be helpful and uplifting and instructive to the people of God as we will peer into the glorious law of liberty wherein Christ makes us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Moving from frustration to perfection. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. All right, I'm going to teach and prophesy. I'm going to try not to holler because I'm trying to pace myself. I'm going to be here with the children at 945, and then I've got one more installment at the end. Then I've got to do a funeral on tomorrow. So I need to pace myself because I only have a certain amount of emotional energy. So now, what does that mean for you? That means that you need to engage me a little bit more than you've done this service. All right. You just engage the bishop a little bit more, more fully than you have. All right. Psalm 138 is a, a, is, is a peculiar psalm. It's a psalm of David. It's a psalm uh, that's a part of a series of psalms of ascent that, uh, that the, the children of Israel, when returning back into the city of Zion, which was si situated in the hill country with its back up inside the mountains such that the people of God could fortify the city against aggressors. But the, the road that came up to the city was the road that uh, caused everyone coming up into Zion to have to look up. This is why David said, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help? So he's, he's, he's making reference to the city that's set on the hill. Uh, he's, he's, he's making reference to is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. He's talking about the mountains in the north. It's, 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 it's this notion of uh, the city's situation, the where the city was geographically situated. And that's an important consideration because the Psalms of Ascent are said to be the psalms that were sung and or recited loudly with rhythmic recitation as the children of Israel were returning with, with the spoils of war. And so this is one of those psalms that they 
they would declare unto the Lord and unto the people of God to encourage their hearts after they would come back battle weary, after they had come back from fighting in the field. Uh, and so this is an important consideration because while they were articulating uh, the goodness of the Lord and the majesty of the Lord and the greatness of the Lord and oftentimes the victory that the Lord had given unto them, they would throw in these human uh, insights that let us know that their experience was not an experience unlike yours and mine. What do you mean, Bishop? I mean, you do realize that even though you can, you can have victory in your life, you can have frustration and victory simultaneously. One of the ways of life, y'all, is to learn. Listen, F. Scott Fitzgerald said, it's the sign of a first-class mind to be able to hold two opposing thoughts in tension at the same time. Did you get that? I'm moving really fast, so you're going to have to do a little bit better. Tony, you got to do a little bit better. Uh, you, you, uh, you, you, it's a sign of a first-class mind to be able to hold two opposing thoughts in tension at the same time. Listen, it is the sign of a first-class life to be able to manage the tensions of life that oftentimes go on simultaneously. Sometimes uh, when, we had our, when we first started having children, uh, one of the, 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 the sense that I got, the tension that was going on in my life was the, the joy of having a child, but then the overwhelming sense of responsibility and fear, knowing I've got to take care of this child for the next 25 years. It's tension. Somebody say tension. And there's tension in the text because Psalm 138 is overwhelmingly a psalm that affirms the goodness and majesty and the greatness of God in the lives of the people. Yet there are two places in the psalm where the psalm, the, the writer David, lets us know there's some tension because in the middle of my adulation, there's still some frustration. How many of you know you got to learn how to praise him through your frustration? How many of you know you got you to learn how to let your praise override your frustration? Verse number three and verse number seven give us an insight into David's frustration. I'm going to give it to you quickly because I want to get to my verse. Verse three says, in the day when I cried out to you, you answered me. And while that is an affirmation of God's power and that God hears us when we cry out, the truth is you don't cry out unless you're in trouble. David was letting us know that in the middle of all of God's beneficial dealings with the people of God, there's still trouble in the midst of all of that. And then in verse number seven, he says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, that's about as plain as it can be. You'll revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, which means I got enemies. I've got trouble. I've got enemies. I've got frustrations, even though I'm in the middle of a season of praise. I want to help us to move from frustration to perfection. Because when he gets down to verse number 8, he makes this declarative statement, the Lord will perfect. Oh, there it is. As I'm saying, the Lord will perfect. That which concerns me. Look at this. It's a sign, y'all. It's a sign. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, he's perfecting. All right. All um, right. So, so let's examine it. Just what are some of the things that frustrate us? I'm teaching, and I, I, want, I want to instruct the people of God, and I want you to hear, he that hath the need, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. What are some of the things that frustrate the people of God? I'd like to encourage you. And the list is more uh, extensive than I will give, but I'll just start your thinking along this wise. One of the things, that I, and, okay, I'm just be honest with you. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, the, 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 what I'm telling you now is, is not, not revelation. It's not from Scripture. It's the, I'm just letting you in a little insight, some of the stuff that frustrates me. 
And since I'm human, I figured that since you're human, I'm human, that maybe we have some stuff that frustrates us in a common way. Okay, let's see. Some of the things that frustrate me, people frustrate me. They probably don't bother you, but people frustrate me. They probably don't get on your nerves. People, all your people are just cool and they good. They get down with you and everything, but people frustrate me. I'm going to tell you how they frustrate me. People frustrate me because I want more for people most of the time than they want for themselves. I'm, I get frustrated with people because I believe more in people oftentimes than they believe in themselves. Some people, I look at their face and I say, you could do so much more with your life. Your life could be at such another level if you would just exert this much more energy. And oftentimes that is frustrating. I'll admit it. You can sit there and play like you don't. It doesn't happen to you. But I have to admit it because I'm a man of truth. And, and, and I have to be committed to the truth. People frustrate me. Let me tell you what else, uh, why, uh, why people frustrate me. People frustrate me because uh, 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 the people, people uh, tend to have unwarranted opposition and general meanness. I've come, to, I've come to discover that people are just against you because they want to be against you. People are negative just because they want to say something negative. See, one of the things that social media and the public sphere has, in the public sphere has done is it has revealed the hearts of people. People frustrate me because people are, in an unwarranted way, just obstructionist and, and against things, and, and they just want to be mean in general. It frustrates me. I grew up, Dr. Bold, with, with, with adages like this. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. People frustrate me. They frustrate me because, because people will sit and watch something on social media. They'll take the time to record it. They'll take the time to edit it, to show the parts that they want, and then make comment on that which they have edited. And it just, it begs the question to me, what do you have to do with your life? That all you have time to do is sit around and be negative about somebody else. See, y'all wasn't raised like I was raised. I was raised around people that used to pray stuff like, Lord, give me the strength to mind my own business and to leave everybody else's business alone. They used to sing quartet songs like, take six months to mind your own business and the other six months to leave everybody else's business alone. Y'all see... I don't know, people frustrate me because they're just unwarrantedly opposing of other people and just generally mean. People frustrate me because, they, listen, there is a, this, we live in an era of general apathy and disengagement from the important matters of life. I'm teaching better than you talking. It's important. I want you to hear me. This is why I don't allow mine, and I, and I encourage you not to allow yours. I push and I prod for our young people. You cannot just give me a one-word answer because there is a prevalent theme of apathy and disengagement from the important matters of life. 
that one day you're going to have to be able to stand up and be counted, give an opinion, offer a suggestion, be a solution to the problem. And if you have cultivated a disposition of general apathy, you will not be able to help anybody, including yourself. I tell the people of God, speak up. This, this, how it translates to the church. I'm concerned for the church, Lord Jesus Christ in general, and for Grace Church in particular. Some of us are too apathetic. I can be very emphatic, very emotionally invested in what I'm trying to get the people to understand. And some of us, I'm not talking about response to preaching, though that is the beginning point. I am talking about, though, a general disposition of apathy towards the broader program of God. What do you mean? If God has called you to this house, then this house's success ought to be important to you. If you're a member of this church, then this church's expansion and good success ought to be important to you. It ought that this general disposition, that if it don't work out, well, you know, I was thinking about going to so-and-so's church. If you were thinking about it now, go. You do yourself a disservice staying somewhere where your heart is not invested. Oh, my God. I didn't plan to even raise my voice this high. Y'all got to help me now because your neighbor is mad at me. Encourage your neighbor around there and say, you need to invest. You need to be a part of what God's doing in the house of the Lord. And it is frustrating that there seems to be a cultural sense of apathy and general disengagement from the important matters of life. Not only are people frustrating, I'm still talking about the things that frustrate us. The second thing that frustrates me is not you, it's me. Y'all pray for me, I need counseling. It's me. People frustrate me. But the second thing that tends to frustrate me is persistent problems. That might not be your issue, but I'm talking about moving from, from frustration to perfection. I'm going to get to perfection in a second. Persistent problems. Have you ever dealt with somebody or had yourself a chronic illness? Persistent problems. It can frustrate you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about wayward children. There's a point in some children's lives, not all of them, but in some children's lives. I, I tend to call it alien abduction where your child gets to a particular age, not all children experience this, thanks be to God, but some do. And they get to a point where they are abducted by an alien, they become something other than what you raised them to be, they look you in your face and act like they never heard what you say to them, though you've been saying it to them all of their lives. It's like, who are you and what have you done with my child? And then it takes eight, nine, sometimes 12 years for them to come all the way back around and that alien that took them over to let them go. Touch your neighbor and say, that's frustrating. I've come to discover, y'all, that persistent problems, periodic, episodic problems, no problem. You plead the blood, you, you cast it out in Jesus' name, you, you get a prayer partner, hold hands, talk in tongues for five minutes, and by the time you get through with prayer, the problem's over. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about persistent problems. Have you ever had something that just wouldn't go away? I'm talking about the kind of stuff, y'all don't like this kind of talk right here. I'm talking about the kind of stuff that you pray about and look like God won't move on it. I'm talking about moving from frustration to perfection. But if you're going to get to perfection, you're going to have to learn how to endure frustration. 
See, because I've come to discover sometimes God lets stuff persist in your life because he's not working on it at that moment. He's like, I got that under my cover. I've got that under my grace. What I'm really working on in this is you, which leads me to my third frustration. Not only people, not only persistent problems, but the process. I've come to discover that the process and persistent problems are first cousins. Persistent problems tend to be a part of the process. Uh, I'm trying to help somebody. You missed a good place to get happy right there. I'm, a, I'm not, no, not going to get no signs up to say shout now. Y'all have been with me long enough to know when to shout. You missed a good place to shout right there because it suggests to you, it ought to suggest to you that if you have a persistent problem, it means God's working on you. And whenever God is working on you, he's trying to get you to the next level in your life. If you can just manage the season and get through it and learn the lesson, God can take you to the next level and at the next level there are new blessings, new opportunities, new access, but you got to learn how to manage the persistent problems that become a part of the process even though it is frustrating. Somebody lift your voice to heaven and say, I'm frustrated, but I'm going to stick with the process. Have you ever been in between jobs and it didn't last a month or two months or six months or nine months? We've got people in this church that were out of work for two years and yet they were in the house of God praising. Yet they were in the house of God working. Yet they were in the house of God giving to the degree that they could. You know why? Because when persistent problems uh, translate into the process, it means that God's about to do something great in your life. But I have to be honest and admit it's still frustrating. I'm trying to teach you how to move from frustration to perfection. And, and four things at least frustrate me. People frustrate me. Some, 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 I shouldn't probably say that generally, uh, but, but the, it works for the alliteration. People frustrate me. Some people frustrate me. Not all of y'all. Not all of y'all. Y'all don't frustrate me. Well, most of y'all don't frustrate me. Well, a few of y'all don't frustrate me. Oh. People can be frustrated. Persistent problems can be frustrated. The process can be frustrated. Don't leave me out here by myself. I am not the only one that's asked the Lord, Lord, why do I have to go through this? I am not the only one. Don't you leave me out here by myself. I am not the only one that has prayed prayers like, Lord, you could do something about this. I'm not the only one that prayed like Mary and Martha, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The process can be frustrating. What's the fourth thing that frustrates Bishop Alvarado? And it may frustrate you. I don't know. It may. But your list will probably be more extensive than the few examples I've given this morning. And that is people sometimes frustrate me. Persistent problems frustrate me. The process frustrates me. Sometimes the pace of progress frustrates me. I'm trying to teach you and help you. I'll help you if you let me. Sometimes in Jonathan's life, things don't move fast enough. And I've come to discover that, that at my age, uh, time is moving faster, but look like progress is moving slower. I think it's important that we understand, dear friends, that sometimes stuff that used to happen really quick when we were younger seems like it takes longer to progress when we get older. 
and I was praying and the Holy Ghost reminded me, that's because when you get older, the things that you want to progress in are more significant than they were when you were younger. Progress when you were 22 was, get me my first job. <laughs> Progress when you're 52 is, save my children. And even though I understand to some degree what the pace of progress, how it's working out in my life right now, it still is frustrating. And I'm trying to help us move from frustration to perfection. The, the, the Bible says, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the things that frustrate us oftentimes are people and persistent problems, the process and the pace of progress. And there are others that you'll add to your list. But, 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 but the text that we read says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. David moved, in verse 3, he expresses some frustration. In verse 7, he expresses some frustration. In the midst of all this adulation, he's got this praise going on with a frustrating experience. But he says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The word perfect is the word gamar in the text. The word uh, that which concerns me, it's a curious thing. When you look at it in your Bibles, you'll see that half of that phrase is italicized, which means that the editors of the text had to add words to bring clarity. At any time you're, you're interpreting something, any time you're translating something, rather, it, it implies a degree of interpretation. So if you'll allow me to deal with the primary sources, the Hebrew text, I'll interpret that maybe a little bit differently than we've interpreted it before. See, see, I've come to discover that when the Lord perfects that which is concerning us, it has direct, that phrase has both direct and external implications to end or to complete or to see something through to finish it. Two dimensions, everybody say two dimensions. I told you I was going to teach and prophesy if you let me. Here it is. The first dimension is direct, direct implications. The second dimension is external implications. And I want to interpret the text for us in ways that I think may be meaningful for us today. See, the word perfect means to end or to complete or to see something through. It's the Hebrew word gamar. It means to bring full completion to a matter. It means to end a matter. Uh, the the com companion word in the Greek text is the word telestai uh, or telestai. Uh, or, or which means to, to see something all the way to its maturity or to its completion. It's the same thing that Jesus uh, uh, said when he was on the cross. I telestai, uh, it is finished. I brought this, uh, this endeavor to its logical and full completion. It's important that we recognize that I'm teaching now. Uh, uh, this is an important instruction because the, 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 the word, uh, the word uh, for, for that which concerns me, that phrase, is the word chesed, and it has some, some curious implications. So, so th there's a direct implication of, of the Lord perfecting that which concerns us. It means uh, that, that God is going to act kindly toward us. See, when the Lord perfects that which concerns us, it is to act kindly towards someone or something. Once again, y'all missed it. Some of y'all have been here too long. The whole bolden family, y'all been here too long. When I say stuff like that, y'all just start shouting, roll in the floor, kick Michelle. She don't know no better. You got to get her started because she needs a little jump start. Prime her pump a little bit. Uh, it's, it's, it, when, when, when I tell you that the Lord to perfect means that God's going to act kindly toward us. 
It means that God's going to demonstrate favor. It means that God's going to give benefit. It means that there are going to be blessings. It means that God's going to extend mercy toward us. These are the direct implications of what it means for the Lord to perfect that which concerns us. Look at your neighbor and tell him, he's perfecting you through kindness. You see what that means, dear friends, is this. It is the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It is God's mercy, his benefit, his favor, his kindness that causes us to change our mind about the way we're living. Don't you leave me out here by myself. I am not the only one that has looked up on some days and said, you know what, God's been too good for, to me for me to keep acting a fool the way I'm acting. Sometimes the way that God converts us is through his kindness. And when the text says that he's moving us from frustration in verses 3 and 7 to perfection, what it's imp implying is that there's kindness that the Lord wants to give to us. That he wants to give favor and benefit, blessing and mercy. You see, this is extremely important for the people of God. If you miss this, you'll miss the crux of the message. This season in God's perfecting process is going to involve God's benevolent kindness toward us. I don't know about anybody else, but I am looking for, listen, listen, listen. I've gone through seasons of chastisement, and I've gone through seasons of kindness. And I like the kindness better. I, when God whoops you, he's trying to get you straight. Same love motivation. But at the same time, God will give kindness and say, listen, this is what I want to do for you. This is how I want to behave toward you. This is what I want you to have in your life. These are the things that I want to bring you into. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And I want to suggest to you today that God is going to bring kindness into your life. And that kindness is with a goal to perfect that which concerns us. I, if you can't get happy about God being kind to you, you probably aren't even saved. I'm prophesying to the ones that have an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. This season is going to be marked by the kindness of God coming to the people of God. That's a direct benefit. That's a direct implication of the Lord perfecting that which concerns us. But there's a, another collateral benefit that's an external implication and here I'm going to give you at least two of them. The first one is to, uh, the, the idea that's expressed in this verse in the Hebrew is to leverage divine influence, listen upon situations and things that have a bearing on the outcomes of one's life. What do you mean Bishop? I, when I used to read that verse, you guys probably have more insight than I did. When I used to read that verse, I used to read that verse that God would perfect those things that concern me, which has all, I read it as all direct implications. He's going to give me the job I want. He's going to give me the house I want. He's going to take care of my needs. He's going to bless me with contentment and satisfaction. He's going to give me favor. But no, no, no. The text says he's going to perfect that which concerns me, which is not internal. That's external. Not only is God going to demonstrate his kindness toward us, that's the direct implication, but he's also going to start managing the things that are around us that have a bearing on our lives. And if the truth be told, the stuff that really frustrates me is oftentimes not the internal stuff that's going on in me. It's the external stuff that is beyond my control. And the text says that's the stuff he's going to perfect, the stuff that concerns me. He's going to leverage divine influence upon situations and things that have a bearing on the outcome of my life. God is getting ready to leverage influence on the boss that's keeping me from being promoted. 
He's perfecting that which concerns me. God's getting ready to move on the hearts. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like waters, he turns it whichever way he wants it to go. I'm prophesying, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit would say to the church. Whatever situation is external to you that is having a bearing on your life, God's getting ready to lean on it. He's getting ready to divine it, put divine influence on it. He's getting ready to nudge it in your direction. He's getting ready to push it toward the right way. Slap somebody a high five and tell them God's about to work on your behalf. It's a direct, it's an, an external implication of the text. He's perfecting the things that are around me to bring my life into the fullness of what he wants it to be. Is there anybody here besides me that needs God to lean on something? I need you to lean on that child. I need you to lean on that job. I need you to exert yourself in this area. I need you to show up in this particular situation. I need you to leverage your divine influence You've got to do what I can't do because it's beyond my control. Somebody say influence. That's what God's about to do to your situation. He's about to influence it for your behalf. Now listen, listen. Not only does it mean to, to leverage divine influence, but it also means to be zealous for someone's good success over and against their detractors. What do you mean, Bishop? It says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. See, see, there are enemies in verse number seven that frustrated David. And the enemies of your life and mine have their desire and their will for your life and mine. They don't want to see you succeed. They don't want to see you do well. They don't want, whether those enemies are natural or whether they are demonic. They are standing in the way hoping you stumble, hoping you fail, hoping you get sick, hoping you lose your job, hoping you lose your husband. Y'all play all them games all you want to, but you better watch yourself because there is a lady sitting across the church that has been eyeing your man. And she if you fool around, act like this trouble in paradise, you, they, she will swoop up on him in a heartbeat. Talking about, I'm just praying for you. I just, the Lord put you in my spirit. I'm just, she is hoping for your demise. She is hoping that y'all don't like me. And you fool around, play the fool and divorce the man. That man was a good man. You play the fool and divorce him. That woman will have him married and cleaned up the next week, buy him a new jogging suit and come down to, uh, y'all not saying nothing to me. Slap somebody high five and tell them there are enemies that are working against you. But when the Bible says that he will perfect that which concerns us, it means that he will be zealous to exert influence against your enemies. Shake somebody's hand like you're going to shake it off and say, neighbor, oh, neighbor, God will fight your battles if you just keep still. Y'all ain't said nothing to nobody. To be zealous for someone's good success over and against their detractors. When the text says he will be, he will perfect that which concerns me, it not only means that he's going to in, exert influence on situations outside of me, but he is going to seek out my enemies. And he is going to work against those who are working against me. Now, 
The reason that some of us can't get happy right there is because we have not understood our covenantal right as his kids. You see, just think about it. If you're a parent, if you're an aunt, you're an uncle, just think about it. There's some stuff that people can say to you and some ways people can behave toward you that you in maturity will just walk away from. But if the same behavior or action was done toward your child, you would lose your fool mind. You would jump on them and beat them down into the ground. You would pull out your knife and cut them from the rooty to the tutor. You would let them have it because there's some stuff that you will put up for you that you will not put up with for your child, for somebody you care about, but somebody that you love, you will go crazy over somebody. This is how zealous God is for you. He is saying in this text, not only am I going to work on situations, but I'm going to come against every enemy that is trying to come against you. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you need to quit fighting people. Let me just tell y'all a prophetic instruction. Some of y'all have wasted your praise energy fighting against people. You have too much energy invested in an attitude. You have too much energy invested in rolling your eyes and looking all cross-eyed at people, acting all funny toward people. You need to exert that energy in praise. If you exert that energy in praise, then the God who is zealous for you will go out and fight your battle or I dare 20 people to just jump up and praise him right now like you know he's going to fight your battle. This is where your energy needs to be. This is where your exertion needs to be. This is what you need to be doing. This is what we need to exercise ourselves unto. Let the Lord fight your battles. Let the Lord fight your battles. You praise him. Let him fight your battles. You praise him. Let him fight your battles. Say time next service. Listen, listen, listen. Listen. While Christian growth, stay under me, I'm, I'm, I'm just about to While Christian growth should be understood as believers personally being perfected or made mature by the agency of the Holy Spirit through the situations of life, it should also be understood that while the Spirit is perfecting us, he is also perfecting the related dimensions of our lives. Come on, play softly. The things we encounter on the journey of life. He's coordinating and arranging positive outcomes for every situation. I'm going to read that again. I wrote that down. The Holy Ghost gave it to me. I wrote this, this little blurb down. I almost feel like I need to turn this into a book. While Christian growth should be understood as believers personally being perfected or made mature by the agency of the Holy Spirit through the situations of life, it should also be understood that while the Spirit is perfecting us, He is also perfecting the related dimensions of our lives, things we encounter on the journey of life coordinating and arranging positive outcomes for every situation. I want to make this bold assertion. God
He wants it so much that he's arranging it. While we should understand him perfecting things that concern us as him working directly on us, the majority of this text leans external to us. That he is really at work in every situation. I'm going to make a bold theological assertion. And I'm going to need some backup on this. And maybe some understanding. The reason that I'm happy about that is because he's not waiting on me to be perfect for him to perfect my situation. The thing that I draw great encouragement from is while I'm still messed up, he regards me enough to go outside of me and say, I'm still going to get this together because I know that sooner or later the work that I'm doing on them is going to match the work I'm doing outside of them. It doesn't give us a license to just remain sorry and slavin and sinful. It ought to, quite conversely, prompt us to want to live better knowing that God is preparing stuff external to us that we have to live fully into. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. It's going to move me from frustration to perfection. Here's my last point, y'all, and I'm going to let you go because i got to let these children in here. Last phrase of verse number eight says, Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Here's his last petition as he closes this psalm. The editors close the psalm, and David says, Forsake not the work of your hands. You see, I need to convince somebody today that your life, our lives, are products of his workmanship. When he says, forsake not the work of your hands, David's prayer is this, Lord, you've started doing something in me. You've started building a life through me. I know I'm not everything I should be. I'm frustrated by some of the things going on in my life. And I know you're perfecting the things which concern me. But Lord, while we're in this process together, don't leave me. somebody to know our lives are the products of his workmanship no matter how great or small no matter how expansive or how contracted your life is no matter how uh, how, uh, 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 blessed you feel or how under the gun you feel our lives are the products of his workmanship and sometimes our frustration comes because we feel like I am working so hard to make a good life and life is not working with me. It's not cooperating with me. It's working against me. Things have all never go my way. I take two steps forward, only take three steps back. Let me just suggest to you prophetically that as much as we think we're working, he's working much more on our behalf. He is working. Let me, let me I'll issue this kind of warning along that wise. Be mindful, friends, that as much as we think we're working, I I put that intentionally in my notes, he is working much more on our behalf. Some of us think we're working, 
even in our delusion, he's working on our behalf. But some of our frustration comes from a delusionary Christianity that has expectations that are contrary to his word. You can't be financially blessed if you're not a tither. You can't have friends unless you show yourself friendly. This is, these are the principles of the Bible. You can't have patience unless you go through trials. This is what the Bible says. And so while he's perfecting those things that concern you, don't have a delusional version, a stylized version of Christianity that says, I can do anything I want to do and God's still going to uh, relieve my frustration. No, some of our frustration is self-induced. So to move from frustration to perfection, we've got to cooperate. I feel like John Wesley. We've got to synergistically work with God. His spirit prompts our hearts to say, you know what? I want you to do better in this. Do better the next time. I want you to pray more. Pray more. I want you to be in place for this. Be in place. I want you to forgive them. Forgive them. And in so doing, the work that he's doing externally will synergize with the work that he's doing internally. And it will produce a relief of frustration that will move us from frustration to perfection. If I be a man of God, you hear my voice. 2018 to 2019 for many of us is going to be a year whereby we shift from frustration to perfection. If you believe it, rest on your feet and just glorify Him now. 2018 to 2019. If this message has blessed you, join us as we seek to change lives by reaching and equipping people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on Facebook at Grace Church International, on Instagram at Grace Church INTL ATL, or on our website at www.gracechurchintl.org. If you would like to partner with us in our mission, you can donate on PayPal at www.paypal.me slash gracechurchintl on Cash App at dollar sign Grace Church INTL or on our website at www.gracechurchintlatl.org slash giving. Now go in grace and the grace of God go with you.